You can't fix anything that's not exposed. You can't heal what's not exposed, you know? You have to first admit that there's a problem, and then we work on the solution to fix the problem. But if everybody's too scared to have those conversations, how is anything ever going to get fixed? This is In The Key of Q, featuring musicians from around the world who inspire my queer identity. Everybody is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. This program is made possible thanks to the financial support of listeners like you over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. And remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest counts an impressive 100,000 streams on Spotify. He's only three years into his music career, but has already secured a number one record with his cover, Habsburg Lip. Before transitioning to a man, he served in the US military and went on to make a considerable name for himself on the drag king circuit. A big, big welcome here at In The Key of Q to Zan the Artist. Zan, hello. Hey, Dan, how you doing, man? This is your folks. Too many shots I'm taking, I can't even focus. Losing my concentration, I can't even focus. This is your moment, I know you know it. I know you, I know you. This is your focus. So many shots I'm taking, I can't even focus. Losing my concentration, I can't even focus. This is your moment, I know you know it. I know you, I know you. I've always gravitated towards music. As a kid, you know, when I, I started playing viola, I don't play anymore, but I started playing viola when I was about seven, eight years old. Um, and then from nine until, you know, now I was in choir, did the whole, you know, show choir, glee, all of that musicals. I've always been gravitated towards music. I'm old enough to remember, you know, when Nirvana was on the radio. Like I remember hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, but my parents, you know, uh, my dad's favorite artist is Phil Collins. So I listened to a lot of Genesis and, you know, Sting and the, uh, that love, the big 80s band. And then also, you know, my mom listened to like New Edition and Luther Vandross. So I had just, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, just have good music around my whole life that has made me just fall even more in love with it every single day. At what point did you feel that just listening to music wasn't enough that you needed to start creating it too. I used to work for a big um, cable company uh, a few years ago. Uh, and we had a Christmas party. They had karaoke up. So um, well, somebody was up there. They were performing Kanye West's Gold Digger. And I'm like, they were butchering it. Like it was horrible. I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing Kanye like this. So I'm on the side, kind of just rapping along with it, you know, filling it in. And the person that was bombing, they handed me the mic and said, here. So I just said, I already know, like, I know most of Kanye's songs by heart. You know, I don't need to look at the lyrics. So I'm just performing Gold Digger. And, you know, at the beginning of, you know, that song, there's maybe five, 10 people in the crowd. By the time I was done, I look up, there's like 30, 40 people surrounding me. Just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you do this. So when I step off stage, I'm like, cool, thank you. One of my buddies was like, yo, I got someone that you need to meet. He was like, why are you not making your own music? And he was like, I need to introduce you to my buddy. So that's actually my producer, Wardell Wilson. Um, that's actually how we met and linked. So we talked to like, who are your favorite artists? I was like, my favorite artist, you know, rapper is Kanye. 
And my favorite composer is Hans Zimmer. Like we, <laughs> we love Hans Zimmer. So I'm like, you know, as a black man, I'm like, what two black people know who Hans Zimmer? Like this is going to be a lifelong friendship. So you cited uh, Kanye West there and also Hans Zimmer. What is it about those two artists that particularly speaks to you? Kanye was told that he could never be a rapper. Kanye initially started out as a producer uh, for Jay-Z, produced a lot of the biggest, you know, Jay-Z songs of all times. And people don't know about that. And they told him, you're, you're never supposed to be a rapper. Then he became a rapper, became one of the greatest rappers of all time, undisputed. Then they told him, you can't, you know, you can't be a fashion mogul. But now look at, you know, we got Yeezy out here um, doing his thing. Um, and he's now a billionaire for it. So not only is just how he writes, you can hear that he puts his heart into everything. With Hans Zimmer, um, he's universal, like just how he makes you feel. And what really I found him in Inception. He actually did the whole score and everything for Inception. That's my favorite movie. Um, and that's the first time I ever heard of Hans Zimmer. Then I started going back and listening to other scores of his. He just has, I don't know, his transitions, like his uh, his the universal sound that he just puts out. It makes you feel some every time I hear him, like the little hair on my arms, the hairs on my arms stand up. Like I get goosebumps. He composed the beautiful, haunting guitar melody, didn't he, towards the end yeah. of Norman Louise? Oh my like, goodness. Like, da, da, yes, da, yes. Da, da, da. like you hear Hans and you know it's him. Yeah. Like, I like this. I'm like, let me, who is this? Yep, Hans Zimmer. I, I feel like I love them as artists and I hear what they're doing. And I'll take specifics. Like, I like how he wrote this bar. I see what he did with this scheme. I see how he played on these words. I'll take little things like that. Uh, but I'm not going to directly try to sound like Kanye, if that makes sense. It reminds me of a quote that I think Judy Garland said, where she said that it is better to be a first class version of yourself than try to be a second class version of someone else. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But that's easy to say. But how do you find out who you are as a musician? How on earth do you make that journey and also know when you've reached the end of it? Well, the journey never ends. Journey ends when you die, right? Because you can always improve. Like you will never, even though we strive for perfection in life, you'll never be perfect. So that means there's always room to grow. So journey never ends for me. My biggest goal is to be the first mainstream trans musician but the thing is, I to do that, I can't write necessarily, you know, specifically as a trans musician, because not everybody's going to understand and be able to relate to that. You know, the biggest thing is, why are you going to listen to this song? What makes this song have replay value? So, like, if I'm trying to do, you know, a specific, you know, queer LGBT anthem, yeah, I'm going to write it very specifically for this market because this is who it was intended for, you know? Uh, but it, for me, if I'm trying to, you know, as a Black, you know, trans queer man, elevate myself to a point where we have representation and mainstream media, um, I have to be able to speak to the masses in a sense. This is your moment. I know you know it. I know you, I know you. This is your fault. So many shots be taken, I can't even focus. Losing my concentration, I can't even bore it. This is your moment. I know you know it. I know you, I know you. I got the truth. Confidence through the roof. Got nothing to prove, nah. Big bands, LSU to my own. And I see what I do, staring at a unicorn. I make waves when I move, make a parade when I move. So what's life like in a military household? You had military, very much legacy running through your family. Mm -hmm. Your father was fourth generation and you were fifth. What is it like? I, I don't, for those of us who don't grow up in military households, what is it like? 
uh, strict. Um, honestly, and it's crazy. Like I never lived off of a base until I was 14 years old when my parents um, built their house uh, out in North Carolina. So uh, I was scared, honestly. Like I know it sounds goofy to some people, but you have to realize like my whole life, I grew up with, you know, wires, you know, barbed wire around me with people patrolling the fence every night and making sure that I'm safe every time I go to sleep. I don't have the greatest relationship, unfortunately, with my parents, but, you know, I'm okay with that because I had to step away from, you know, that kind of, you know, relationship for me to be the best version of myself. Um, Growing up in a military household, it was strict. You know, we were expected to, you know, be the best at everything. My brother was a, you know, collegiate uh, um, athlete, like, um, I, you know, I lettered, I did, we were both very good in sports. Like we excelled in sports. We excelled in everything that we did, but I gravitated towards music more and he gravitated towards, you know, the sporting side more, but we always had to be the best, you know, very strict, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Um, I think some of those parts are great. It taught me respect. It's taught me discipline where that's why I believe I'm able to be an independent artist and I could sit here for years and be honest and truthful with myself. And, you know, because that was instilled in me uh, as a child. So it's it's strict and rigorous. There are good, but you got to take the good with the bad as well, you know? In that strict military household, was your brother's sporting achievements held in higher regard than your musical achievements? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's one of those, like, I, you know... Parents, my parents were every sports game that he had, you know, every, it didn't matter because he, you know, was the captain of the football team. He was, you know, wrestler, like he's a collegiate, you know, Greco-Roman wrestler, you know, he won state, like he, he's very, very good to my parents, I guess, you know, football games were more exciting than, you know, coming to my choir, you know, uh, concerts and my musicals. And I can't really speak for them. I, you know, I can only, you know, say how it feels, uh, how it felt and, you know, kind of how it feels. Doesn't feel good, but you know, my best friend's parents are my biggest fans. So I can't be too upset. I got a lot of, you know, <laughs> they love me. They're they're at my shows. They're, they do support me. So I do have that, you know, for sure. And so what was this kid like who was going to orchestra and choir? I was very, uh, I was very, I was very uncomfortable in my skin. I can't like, I, I'm, I'm cool to open up about that now because, you know, when I was 2000, what, 2003, uh, 2003, four, like the only trans person I think I've ever heard of was Chaz Bono at the time. So I didn't like, I knew that I was uncomfortable in my skin. I was always uncomfortable in my skin um, ever started since I started puberty. Um, never understood why. So, you know, I was just very shy and awkward, but like whenever I went to choir, you know, um, I, I felt heard. Hmm, I know it's what, but like I did because um, in North Carolina at the time, I was revered as the best second alto in the state. I actually had different school districts um, asking if my parents would let me transfer school districts because they need a strong second alto. Like I had schools fighting over me to be able to sing in their choir. So um, I was very good. Like I was just always naturally good. And I have to be grateful to my music teacher. Like we, her and I, we fought every single day when I was a kid. But like as an adult, like she taught us, you know, she taught us um, music theory. She taught us, uh, you know, she trained our ears. Like I believe I have a world class ear and I'm an incredible producer uh, just because I have an ear that she forced us to learn. She forced us to be able to write sheet music. She made us, you know, be proficient at playing the piano. Like I'm proficient at piano and guitar. Like I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I know how to play. Do you think it would be fair to say that you're going through this time, you're going through issues with identity within yourself? Uh, and and music for some reason is is a space of refuge. Yes, music I just gravitated towards. It was my happy place. 
my parents always gave me new music. Like books and music were what really what I did to entertain myself as a child. Like I was really more of a solitary creature. Um, so I kept myself entertained <laughs> and it was through music. I when MTV still had music videos. Like I knew all the dance moves to every Backstreet Boy. Every I knew them all because I taught them. Like that's what I did um, as a kid in my room. I know you know it. I know you. I know you. This is your fork. So many shots be taking, I can't even focus. Losing my concentration, I can't even pour it. This is your moment. I know you know it. I know you. I know you. This is your fork. Honestly, teenage years were rough. My parents uh, got divorced when I was uh, 16, 17 years old. Um, before that, my dad deployed to Iraq. Uh, that's when like everything was crazy, like when it first popped off after 9-11, like when we actually went to war. So there's just a lot of things, you know, that kind of happened in that time frame that are they're not they're not fun. I really don't even you know go back and think about it much because they were not a good time in my life. But it was like it was hard. Like I, I definitely want to be honest about this because there's people going through this right now. There are people going through this. Yeah. I don't think there's any freaking hope that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And like if I have to tell, you know, you know, little 14 year old Zan, like, yo, bro, I promise you it's going to get better. Like you have to go through like. But at the same time, if I didn't go through this, I would not be hard enough and built for the life that I'm trying to achieve. And how did you manage to survive the emotional trauma of parents splitting up? At a at an age when we are we are so vulnerable at that age. I mean, really, we are. How did you survive it? Um, I did not used to be this person. I used to be a very sad. Like I, I do, you know, deal with mental health issues. I do, you know. Um, and it, it sucks because it sounds so common nowadays. But if you think about it, a lot of us have gone through some trauma, some PTSD that does trigger, unfortunately, these different things. Um, but I don't think I really ever processed it. And it was more anger. I don't really think it was the divorce. I just think it was because the divorce was so terrible. It was not one of those, hey, let's just split and do the best for the kids' divorces. It was probably the worst that you could possibly think of. So um, in a sense, felt portrayed by both my parents. So I really had to go to therapy because I did hold on to a lot of anger and a lot of sadness and um, a lot of just, you know, different things from that time in my life. Where I went to therapy, um, I had the greatest therapist. Like, you know, she wasn't necessarily just trying to prescribe me medication. She was just like, you know, I think you just have some unprocessed trauma that you've never been able to freely talk about. And she's like, I think you just need to get that out and just talk about it. Um, And that really helps. And that's when, you know, I stopped being so closed off to, you know, uh, my feelings. I used to just shut down and get mad and internally just like just sit there and take it because that's what you're told to do. You better not back talk, keep your mouth shut. That's the life I knew. Like, it was different for people like you can talk to us. We care, you know? So it was definitely like, um, it was a game changer for me. Therapy was a game changer. So how did you make the journey from this point then to the military? What was it about the military that appealed to you and, and what were the experiences like within it? Family told me this, you know, discouraged me from being a musician. So the next thing I was doing, I was actually prepping to go to med school um, and getting all that, took all my prereqs, you know, pre-med classes, all this stuff. Uh, and then I realized, like, I just I, I didn't want to be a doctor. You know, that, that's not what I wanted to be. Um, family was very disapproving of that, did not support that, especially because I changed my major to history, political science. But I love history. It's, it's incredible. Um, so they were doubly unhappy about that. So it just came to a point where. Uh, it was, it was the best option for me at the time to kind of get away from just, uh, uh, 
not happy place. Really, I really, I want to say honestly, 100, I probably never admitted this until now. Like I got in the military to run away from my life, if that makes sense. So at the time, honestly, boot camp AIT, it probably saved my life. Um, not even being facetious. It, it kept me distracted and it built something. Like it made me tough. Like, yeah, it was brutal. Like the shark attack, Jill Sergeant in your face, that's 100% true. Like <laughs> that does happen. Um, but, you know, it also made me realize that I'm capable of more than I ever, you know, thought in my head that I was or that I was told that I was. Um, so it does come with a sense of pride. You know, I have, you know, honorable, you know, I didn't get kicked out or anything. Like I did my time, wasn't for me, didn't want to go back type of thing. Uh, but it definitely showed me that, hey, I don't want to do this. But it also showed me that I'm tougher than I realize that I am and that I can like fear shouldn't stop me from doing something. So I got out of the military in 2014. I came back to Oklahoma and I've been here ever since. What's being a woman in uh, the military as challenging as one might imagine it being? I, my picture of it is being quite an aggressively male space. For sure. So you have to remember in 2014, the don't ask, don't tell was not repealed until a month after I graduated from my advanced training. So that was a, you know, you say anything, you're going to get discharged. Um, gender wasn't even on the spectrum at that point. So I couldn't honestly even speak on that. It's disgusting. Even like the stuff going on right now, especially in Fort Hood. I don't know if you hear about that a lot over in the United Kingdom, but Fort Hood is... It, you, where you saw that missing, I can't remember her last name, Vanessa, the missing soldier that ended up dead. Um, yeah. She came out of Fort Hood. There's a lot of rape and there's a lot, of, there's a lot, there's a lot of missing people on that installation, not just women, but the sexual assault, you know, just the intimidation, the harassment, it's disgusting, honestly. And it's, it's a cancer and it's honestly, retention rates are low in the military. Nobody's rejoining bad leadership. All like, it, it, it's like Rome. It, it really destroyed itself from the inside out. Last take. Been spoiled at the cul de sac. Turn the volume up. Radio play my jam. I'm vibing. We ride. When 808s hit, I'm just right with the ambient sound and the city light. I'm vibing. We ride. Out my driveway, put it in reverse. Yeah. Check my rear view, for my rear view Turn around and put it in dry, in dry. Doing 59 down to 45 Take a right yeah. at the light The sun sets down behind the silhouette I'm boulevard bound The humming of traffic, it's all around, it's all around. Fits perfect with the stereo sounds So you came out of the military You were one of the ones who decided not to return No You spoken earlier already about feeling out of sorts with the world a little bit, feeling like you didn't yeah. quite fit in, choosing yeah. often to be alone or to find comfort in music. Was yes. there a tipping point once you left the military, at which point you said to yourself, I've had enough of feeling like I don't belong. I think transition is a solution. So my friend Cammie, I got to give her a shout out. Uh, back in 2014, yeah, um, 2000, uh, so I was in the military 2010, 2014. So I got out in 2014, came back to Oklahoma. I was working a couple jobs at that time. I was one, like, I didn't go out. Like, I, I'm not a big, like, socializer. I'm still, and I think that kind of made me, like, I'll go out every now and again. If I go out for shows, for sure, I know how to be, you know, cool in social surroundings. But I'm one of those, I'm definitely one, of, I'm an introvert, extrovert. 
um, I'm comfortable in my own environment in a sense. So I was working a few jobs and she was, uh, I met her because I was working at GameStop at the time, probably the best job I've had to this date. I love that place. Uh, I was working with her and she's like, yo, you know, I got a friend that does drag. I'm like, what's drag? I didn't even know what drag was at that time. It's like, oh yeah, there's a cool bar, you know, it's called the rec room. Um, and I want to bring you out to a show. So she forced me like, she's like, nope, we're going out tonight. Forced me to go out. So I'm sitting in the audience. I've never seen a drag show. I didn't know what it was X, Y, and Z. And I'm watching these people before, and I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like a light just went out. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to get on stage and I want to do that. Like I've always known, I've heard of drag queens, but I never knew what a drag king was. They're like, oh yeah, you know, it's a male illusionist. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm like, I don't want to get up there and do a drag. I'm like, you don't have to be a drag queen. You can be whatever you want to be, uh, but you can be a drag king as well. So um, went up there, you know, did my first song. And I remember, uh, and I killed it. Like I, I, I have natural stage presence. It was first song I ever did was Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Um, and, uh, it, it was incredible. Like I was never, but like my drag dad literally had to push me out on stage because I was freezing, like go. And like when my music started, so I hope like, oh, I'm out here anyway. So might as well just do it. I remember this crowd, probably a hundred, 150 people just so supportive, cheering me on. Oh my gosh. I want to say the first performance I did, I probably made $150, $200 in tips. Um, just that one, that one song. Wow. Because there was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, especially for a king, it's hard. Like people come for queens. So as drag king, you know, it's kind of hard uh, to, to make money like that. I got a lot of silver medals. They never crowned me out here, but I uh, got a lot of second place medals uh, during drag pageant season. Then I went to nationals. I was top 20 ranked. Um, in 2015-16, uh, going to nationals for the US of A uh, pageantry system. Uh, but at a certain point, I realized it's not my passion. My biggest thing, you know, that I got out of drag was one, I improved my stage presence. Two, I can lip sync like a boss. And three, I got, I, I didn't get over my stage fright, but I learned the tools. I was like, every, every time I said, it's an excitement, it's not fear. I realized it's exciting. I'm about to step on stage and blow the roof out. But how did that feel for you taking on that persona? Was that an empowering and interesting thing. How did that feel the first time you did it? I finally felt like I belonged to my skin, if that makes sense. After, you know, when you first started as a drag king, you have to like, before I knew better, you bound with like duct tape. So you have to bind your chest down. You have to chest, you know, your, 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 your titties down um, and bind it. So you get that flat chest, you paint on facial hair, you contour your face, you do all these things that now that I have naturally because of hormones, um, you painted all that. So I learned how to do makeup and all this stuff. So yeah, my stage name was Xander Atrocious. Um, and Xander, I felt more like Xander than I ever did my former self. Uh, and I'm like, you know, at first I thought I was genderqueer. Um, I was like, you know, I'm comfortable because when you're, you're, you're a drag king or even as a queen, um, and you probably, you know, you've been in that, that, that circuit. Like if you're a queen, like, even if that's, you know, say that you were a drag queen for you, for instance, Dan, um, some people are like, Hey girl, Hey sis, just because you're a queen, they're not necessarily misgendering you, but Hey, they know you as a drag queen. So that's very common in the drag queen world. Mm -hmm. So, um, Kings as well, even if, you know, say that a, you know, there are, you know, just heterosexual straight women that want to be kings. They just want to pursue, you know, that persona. Uh, they'll say, hey, bro, hey, man, X, Y, and Z. They'll use the masculine pronouns for them when they're in that. So they're like, you know, when they started, I started hearing, you know, hey, him, he, Xander. Um, I started gravitating towards that more. And then when I would hear she, her, like, it made my skin crawl. I hated it. You know, I just, it, like, it just... 
in the back of your head, I'm like, this is not right. Don't call me that. Don't call me that. So I finally, I was like, you know, like I, I'm trans. Like I want to say probably a year, about a year after I started doing drag, I truly am like, I'm trans. Take a right at the light. The sun sets down behind the silhouette. I'm Boulevard bound. The humming of traffic, it's all around. Fits perfect with the stereo sounds. Ben's pulled out the cul-de-sac. Turn the volume up. Radio play my jam. I didn't start hormones for five years. Um, till after I came out as drag, uh, I came out as trans because I'm like, this is irreversible. You know, every decision I need to make sure this is what I want to do for my greater purpose. Um, so I actually sat there and took the time, but unfortunately a lot of people rush those decisions and there, are, I know quite a few people that have regretted transitioning and they're like, this is not for me and the X, Y, and Z. So it was one of those, like, I really sat with it. Why do you think some people have as you put it rushed the process do you do you think maybe it's just the pressure of having had so many years of of feeling a misfit within one's own body that it it can sometimes drive decisions that with hindsight might be too fast what are your thoughts on that i can't really speak for them in that sense i can tell you the social pressures that come within the community my big thing was being misgendered. Like I already was kind of androgynous looking before, but being misgendered, like it, it used to get to me, but some guys that can like mess up your whole week. If like somebody accident, like it, there's no ill mouse behind it. They don't know any better, but to a trans person, that's devastating, you know? So like, let me get this beard on my face. So I'm going to get, you know, mis- uh, misgendered less or at all. Like, I don't remember the last time I was like, I, I absolutely, I don't get misgendered anymore. Um, but I mean, I could see that is a social pressure, but could also be one of those like you want to be stealth um, guys, you know, and females. They want to be stealth where there's not necessarily you don't feel like there's a target on your back because like, oh, I can tell you're different and I can tell that you're trying to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe if I have hormones and I have this full beard and my voice is deep that, you know, I can pass or something. Do you think we're heading towards a space in the future where conversations like the one that we're having now will seem beautifully archaic? And we'll live Absolutely. in a culture where it'll just be like, oh, well, people are just what they are. Yes. Yes. If like uh, mankind goes the way it should. Absolutely. But you have to have those pioneers that are the first ones to have that conversation. Somebody has to rip off the bandaid. Like you can't fix anything that's not exposed. You can't heal what's not exposed. You know, you have to first admit that there's a problem and then we work on the solution to fix the problem. But if everybody's too scared to have those conversations, how is anything ever going to get fixed? I'm Welcome back to Now, the podcast celebrating the variously compiled world of pop. A variety of fabulous guests and I explore favourite compilation albums, as well as considering how these collections shaped pop culture and now fondly stand as time capsules for our own musical and life milestones. It was a great time to be a pop fan, discovering music and uh, discovering life, really. This is where the memories were made, I suppose. Well done, the compilers of <laughs> <laughs> like all the music, you know. Um, I'm sure they'll go for every success. 
Please follow the show through your favourite podcast provider and join in with me, Ian, on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Now, Zan, when we finish this conversation, I take the recording into the edit and edit the program down and, and turn us both into witty and insightful human beings. <laughs> Except I'm not going to do it for the next two or so minutes where I'll say to you, there's a platform for you to speak about whatever you want. It doesn't have to be something we've spoken about, or it can be something we have spoken about. You can speak for whatever you want to speak about for about the next two minutes. This is your space to have your voice heard. All right, Dan, I appreciate that. So honestly, let's I'm going to go ahead and throw you a curveball. Um, I feel uh, that every queer, trans, POC, minority group of person needs to learn some sort of self-defense. Um, we already know that there's already, you know, uh, in a sense, a target on your back and kind of whatever demographic you fall into. There's even a bigger target on your back and you feel exposed and you feel like a victim. Uh, and, and that's a horrible way to live. You know, I personally, I have a brown sash in Kung Fu. I've been doing Kung Fu for about seven, eight years now. And I have two black belts. Uh, one is Bagua, the art of the circle. You know, I'm the last avatar. Um, and another one is Xing Yi, the purest form of boxing. And I also know Tai Chi and some Shaolin animal forms. Um, and then my dad, of course, he's a grandmaster in Hoshin Booty Roo, and my brother's a Greco-Roman wrestler. So I have a lot of, you know, kind of uh, martial training and on top of being an expert rifleman when I was in the army. Like, I'm, I'm a lethal person in some people's eyes. But the biggest thing, the reason that I learned um, was because me being as, you know, minority based as I am, uh, being a, a black trans lefty, uh, um, I realized that I need to learn how to defend myself. You know, I have never had to use it on anybody. I've gotten one fight in my life and I was in high school and that's just because somebody was picking on me and I just finally had enough. Um, I have never used it. I have never used it once and I hope I never have to, but it's the same time where I'm not going to walk into life scared. I'm not going to walk in anywhere feeling like I'm going to be victimized. I don't care what you think about me. If you have an issue, we can handle this. Um, but I really feel like, you know, queer people, especially, um, take self-defense classes, you know, uh, do something. There's so many free things on YouTube. You can just look up just basic self-defense, you know, basic things. If something happens, you know, see, there's a lot of free, you know, go to YMCA or rec center, local rec centers. A lot of times there are free classes, you know, gyms have them. They're everywhere. So learn some form of self-defense so you don't have to go through life feeling like there's a target on your back and you can walk with your head high and confidently knowing that you can defend yourself against anything. Sam, for someone listening to this podcast who's feeling a bit alone and ignored in the world, what would your advice be to them? Um, sit in it. You know, I've been alone most of my life and I've come up with the most profound things in my life because of it. Sit in it. Sit in it. Like, don't avoid your feelings. You know, sit there, meditate, close your eyes, slow your breathing and process. You're allowed to feel however you want to feel. The biggest thing is that you don't want to stick, get stuck there. You want to like, okay, I'm upset by this. I'm upset because of this. This is valid, but this is no longer serving me any purpose. So I need to let it go, you know, but you like, you can't, you can't, people around you is not going to make you feel any less alone. It's just going to distract you from being alone, but sit in that, you know, go through it, write it down. Like, listen, like, what is it that you want to do in life while you're sitting in that still and quietness? 
What is your primal monkey mind telling you that, hey, what do you need to go pursue? What is the thing that you could do for the rest of your life and love it no matter, you know, whatever it throws at you? And then go chase your dream because the second that you find your calling, your tribe is going to find you. The people that are supposed to be in your life and you're meant to be with and that family that you make and not necessarily that made you, that's when they're going to start finding you is when you're in your true purpose. So I would rather be alone than around people that are not serving my higher good. I go back to the stars for everything, for everything, for everything. I look up to the stars for everything, where everything came from, everything. I don't know, I ask why, I don't know, I ask why. For everything, for everything. I go back to the stars for everything, where everything came from, everything. Hands of mine, hands of time, I wonder. And what do you think your 15-year-old self would make of you and make of your music? That's a badass. No. <laughs> you are a cool dude. I want to be your friend now. <laughs> really? That's lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I, I, I'm like, that's what I'm like. I want to go, but time is loop. So I'm like, try to tell my little self that, hey, I promise you, you're going to chase your dreams. Like, you're going to get where you want to go. And it's funny because I remember having that thought as a kid that, I'm going to be something special. I was meant for something greater. So it's crazy. I feel like me in this present time is telling me and my time behind whatever's going on in the universe is telling that person right now. So yeah, like I promise you, bro, there's a, there's a method to the madness that's going on. We've had you on as a guest. Who do you think we should have on as a queer artist in the future? Or at least who is inspiring you that you're listening to at the moment? My boy, Ryan Cassata. Um, yeah, like he's actually the first major trans musician that co-signed me. Um, he, I've done uh, a couple songs with him now. Uh, the last song that I did was Holly Weird, and his album actually uh, got on iTunes Top 25. Uh, I think it was the rock or indie rock. I can't remember what category, but that album went uh, number 24 on iTunes when it dropped. So, uh, And then the song that he, uh, him and I did a remix with, uh, the initial version hit over a million plus streams on uh, Spotify. So Ryan Casada, um, I think he's a great guy. He has a massive, massive platform of queer youth. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, he's just—he's such a sweetheart. He's adorable. Uh, but yeah, Ryan Casada, uh, I, I think you would honestly absolutely love talking to him. And of course, subscribers can hear my episode with Ryan in season one, episode twenty-seven. Oh, and he is indeed fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that that's my boy right there. Like he, he's somebody that I absolutely, um, he's done a lot for me. Um, and anytime I get a chance to shout him out, I will. Fantastic. And of course, we'll put links to Ryan's episode in the show notes for this. So where can we find you online, Zan? Man, I'm everywhere. Zantheartist.com, X-A-N, the artist, all one word, dot com. I got links to all my social. This is my landing page right there. But all my social medias. I mean, I went ahead and snatched that up before anybody else tried to take it. Zan, the artist across every platform, my friend. And of course, uh, we'll put links to all of Zan's uh, websites and his socials in the show notes here. Look at the stars from afar. Make a wish, follow your heart. Black robe, look like Jafar. We headed to Mars. Take control of the galaxy. Future unfold like the galaxy. My flow don't got fallacies. Stars burning like calories. Whip anti-gravity. It's like matter, don't matter to me. Now, Sam, we've been listening to your music all the way through the episode, but I do think we've saved the best till last, of course. Now, if there was a gateway song 
of yours. That would be one song that people who didn't know you would listen to and it would just make them go, I love this guy. I'm going to listen to all his back catalogue and listen and subscribe to everything he releases from now onwards. What do you think that gateway song would be and why? Every single song that I've done, I've been going through voice changes. So my song, my voice is different in every song because of hormones. So I think that's kind of cool to go back and just listen to that evolution. Um, but I would say let them know. Let them know is when I was, you know, I was really struggling with my writing process and like struggling on getting out what I'm trying to say and what I really want in life and like what is my purpose to this, you know, what what am I trying to achieve out of this music thing? Like what what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to get them out? And just got to let them know, let them know what you're about. Like, let them know. <laughs> That's why I just like, you know, it's a, it's a, for sure. It's a mantra and a chant, but you know, um, it, it really talks about like what I was feeling at that time. That song was kind of a love letter to myself. Dan, thank you so much for coming on In The Key of Q and sharing with us your story and your music. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, man. This has been awesome. This is my first podcast I've been asked to be on. So this is exciting. I was learning some new stuff. Um, and absolutely, dude, I'd love to link with you. You're a fun guy. <laughs> That was kind of fire.
Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support In the Key of Q via Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Theme music is by Paul Lee Nidu at UnstoppableMonsters.com with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others discover new queer musicians by rating and reviewing In the Key of Q wherever you find podcasts. Thanks to Kaj and Murray for their continued support and to you for subscribing. The show is made of Puck Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music and I'll see you next Tuesday. Sonic Flux is our next guest on In the Key of Q. The reason why I started writing music um, ultimately was a way to cope with my mental illness and my depression. That's Sonic Flux, next time on In the Key of Q.